Well, good evening, Grace Meadows. <laughs> what a great night this has already been. The food was delicious, but let me tell you, the wait staff, they were something else tonight. That's right. Guys, gentlemen, thank you so much for spoiling us ladies tonight. That was a treat. Um, they served the meal. They cleaned up. We've even got some some gentlemen down there handling the two and four-year-olds tonight. So extra prayers that direction. And honey, now that I know what you're made of, I've got plenty of opportunities for you to pick this up at home as well. So stay posted for that. That's right. Um, but in all seriousness, I am so thankful uh, that the elders have entrusted me with this opportunity tonight. And I'm so thankful for the message that the Lord has given me to share with you all tonight. I've been praying that it would be a timely message, not just for us in our individual walks with the Lord, but for us as a whole, for us as a church body. If you know me well, then you know that I tend to get nervous still when I get up and do this from time to time, and I am a little bit nervous, but I'm also a little more confident than usual tonight. Do you know why that is? It's because over the past few Wednesday nights and over the past few Sundays, the Lord has made it abundantly clear that he is going to feed his people. He is the one who feeds his church. We may not have a full-time pastor right now, but he can use Matt to feed his people. And he can use Joel Conger to feed his people. And he can use Ira to feed his people. And praise God, he can even use me to feed his people. He's not going to let us go hungry tonight or any other night. And I'm thankful for that. So I choose to believe that the message that he has given me for tonight, it's the exact sustenance that he knew that we would need this evening. So with that being said, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4 tonight. I want us to read that together. I'll give you just a second to find it. It'll be on the screen also. Great job, Travis. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time... Take note of that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. At that time, the disciples, they came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he, being Jesus, put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray one more time. God, teach us how to do this. God, teach us what it means to humble ourselves like children. God, teach us as individuals. Lord, teach us as a church body. God, I believe you're going to feed us tonight. So God, I go ahead and I, I give you praise and I give you honor for that. And we thank you, God. And we ask all these things in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. Have you all ever heard the term the goat before? 
the goat. Um, now, I don't know that much about sports, full disclaimer, but I've heard this term, the goat, being thrown around quite a bit when people, when, when guys are usually talking about sports. It's like, is LeBron the goat? Or is Michael Jordan the goat? My husband says that Michael Jordan's the goat, so you can take it up with him after the service if you feel differently, but... But they talk about this. And ladies, maybe you're like me and you don't know that much about sports, so you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But the GOAT is an acronym, G-O-A-T, for the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time. And, and people love to discuss this, right? We love to know who is the greatest. We, we like to know how people measure up. Um, but as we can see from the passage that we just read in Matthew 18, this is not a new topic of discussion, is it? I mean, 2,000 years ago, the disciples, they came to Jesus wanting to know the same thing. Hey, Jesus, who's the goat? Jesus, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And chances are they, they were still thinking there was going to be an earthly kingdom that Jesus was setting up. And that's probably what they were thinking about when they asked this question, but that's still what they wanted to know. Hey, who's going to be the greatest? And I'm betting his answer was not what they were expecting that day. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but my personal guess would be that they asked this question because they thought that maybe they would be the answer to the question. I mean, and and they wanted to know how they measured up. They wanted to hear it with their own ears if, if they were going to be the greatest. They were looking for some affirmation here. And, I mean, they were Jesus' inner circle, right? And they had given up everything to follow Jesus. And in the midst of his rising fame, they were his closest groupies. They had seen the most miracles. They had even done some miracles on their own. So in their minds, surely they were a shoo-in for the position of the greatest, but they just wanted to be sure. So I think they were looking for a little affirmation right here. That's my guess because the very first verse we read in chapter 18 said, at that time. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus asking him this question, who's the greatest? So that phrase, at that time, made me ask myself, at what time? And I knew I had to go back to the previous chapter to see what had been going on in their lives. And let me tell you, chapter 17, the previous chapter, is just full of information that sheds some light on why the disciples may have been feeling a little insecure why they may have been looking for a little pat on the back. Because that's what we do when we're feeling insecure, right? Ladies, us in particular, when we're feeling insecure, we start going to different places looking for a little affirmation. Maybe, maybe it's date night and we dress up real nice and we hope our husband's going to notice. Maybe we're feeling insecure because these other moms are out there just killing it. And so we decide we're going to make like a really awesome dinner and hope our kids notice. Or maybe we just post something on social media hoping for some compliments or a, a little affirmation. I think that's what the disciples were doing here. Because the events that occurred in chapter 17, they would have left them feeling a little insecure. 
and I want us to briefly talk about those, but I do want to point out that the events that happened in chapter 17, they probably didn't happen bam, bam, bam chronologically, but they did happen, and the disciples experienced them, and it was likely prior to this conversation, so I do want to make that clear. But in chapter 17, the transfiguration occurred. Are you all familiar with the transfiguration? Jesus takes some of his disciples and goes up on that mountain and was transfigured. And they got to see him in his glory. And they got to witness him talking to Moses. Moses, Dan, Moses and Elijah. Like, can you imagine what that would have been like? Well, that's just the thing. Some of the disciples had to imagine it because they weren't there. Jesus only took his innermost, innermost circle of disciples up to the mountain, Peter, James, and John. And that probably stung a little bit for the rest of them, you know? Why weren't, why weren't they a part of the innermost, innermost circle? Why, why did they feel rejected? And then later on in chapter 17, this man comes to the disciples with his demon-possessed son, and he asks the disciples to heal him, and they couldn't do it. They failed. And Jesus had to come in and save the day. And Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith. That failure probably stung a little bit. Probably caused some insecurity in them to once again rise up. And then lastly, in chapter 17, some guys come to Peter and they're like, Hey, why doesn't Jesus pay the temple tax? And, and Jesus explains to the disciples, he's like, Look. Do kings of this earth tax their own sons? No. So he says, so my father is not, not going to tax me either, but go ahead and pay it because we don't want to cause offense. But he made it clear that he was exempt from paying the tax. But notice the disciples weren't, weren't exempt. They didn't get that special privilege. I mean, keep in mind that in all of the events, the disciples, they're just like me and you. They're just regular people. Can you imagine what it was like being BFFs with Jesus, who never fails, who gets everything right, who gets special privileges? Can you imagine what that would have been like? And suddenly, those insecurities, they would start to rise up. But so it says in chapter 18, at that time, the disciples, they come to Jesus with the question, Jesus, who's the greatest? Looking for affirmation like we do. But like we do, they were looking for affirmation in the wrong way. They wanted notoriety. They wanted a little bit of praise. But Jesus knew that that was not the lasting affirmation that they needed he knew that that wasn't really what was going to give them the confidence that, that they were going to need for the rest of their ministry and the rest of their lives. So instead of empty compliments, he offers them truth. Truth. But I want to back up for just a second. Um, does anyone else think that this question makes for an awkward situation? I mean, the disciples come to Jesus. And they ask Jesus, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Do you wonder if Jesus was like, this is awkward. <laughs> it would be like um, Matt and Dan here. Um, I've seen them play basketball back in the day. They're, they're pretty good. It'd be like them being on a basketball team 
with Michael Jordan and going up to Michael Jordan and being like, Michael, who's the greatest on this team? And actually expecting Michael Jordan to say it was one of them. No offense, guys, but, I mean, he's Michael Jordan. That's what this would have been like. They come to Jesus and they ask Jesus a question that clearly he is the answer to. Who does that? Oh, wait. We do that. We do that. God, how am I ever going to make it through this season of grief that I'm in right now? God, who is going to provide for my family if I don't get this job or that next promotion? God, how am I ever going to figure out the purpose that you have for my life? Because all this just feels meaningless. And the whole time God is like, I am the how. I am the who. I am the way. Yet too often we come to him with our questions and with our worries. And that's the right thing to do. And I'm so thankful that we do that, that we bring those things to him. But we bring them to him somehow expecting, like those disciples did, that we are somehow going to be the answer to those questions instead of realizing that he alone is the answer to the problems and the worries and all the questions. He alone is the answer. We're so focused on ourselves, though, right? We have the tendency to be so self-reliant, so power-hungry and needy for control and so were the disciples. And Jesus, he, he knew that was the case with the disciples. And if you've read the Gospels, then you know that was the case with them too. They always wanted to be the best. They always wanted the highest position. That was what they were so consumed with, and Jesus knew it. So he sees this child, and he calls this child over into the midst of them so that they can literally see this child. And he tells them, look, if you want to be the greatest, this is what you need to become like. You've got to learn how to humble yourself like this child. And look, I know many of us in here, we've studied this passage of scripture before. A lot of us, maybe we've studied it many times. But I want us to think tonight about what it must have been like to hear this answer, to hear Jesus' answer for the very first time. Because I guarantee you when the disciples heard it, they were like, huh? Like, really, Jesus, another cryptic answer? Like, we just want to know who's the greatest. Is it us, or are you going to raise up another leader? You know, I bet they went to bed that night thinking about it. Humble ourselves like a child. Woke up the next morning pondering, like, what does that really mean? And I think it probably took them some time to figure it out. They had to think about it, and that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to think through this together like it's the first time we've ever heard it. Because Jesus made it clear that something in them needed to change. And I really believe he's going to make that clear to some of us tonight too. That something in us needs to change. And we've got to learn how to turn and humble ourselves like children. We've got to ask ourselves that. So if you're asking yourself that right now, that's good news. Because I feel like as I prepared this message, the Lord has shown me three ways that we can do that. And I just briefly want to look at these three ways that we can turn and we can humble ourselves like children. Point number one, children know who's in charge. 
Children know who is in charge. They may like to act like they are in charge from time to time, but in reality, they know who is in charge, and they know that it is not them. Children go from location to location, but everywhere they go, there's somebody else in charge. At home, their parents are in charge. School, their teacher's in charge. The principal's in charge. On the basketball court, their coach is in charge. Everywhere they go, someone is in charge, and they're used to it. They've accepted it. Now, sure, at times they have their rebellious moments when they rise up against it, but whenever they do, they realize that they are powerless against that authority. And they come to understand that whoever is in charge is the one that has all the power. Man, we could take a lesson from them when it comes to that. And I know, I know that it sounds so simple and so obvious, but as we grow up and as we become adults, we, we become so self-sufficient. And we start to actually fool ourselves into thinking that we are the ones who are in charge. That we are our own authority. We are self-made men and women standing on our own two feet. And too easily, y'all, we forget, hey, we are not in charge. We are not in charge. I really believe that we as adults have to once again come to understand the authority of Christ. That he alone rules and reigns, not beside of us, not behind us. He alone reigns. In every location that we go to, in every place that we go to, the same person is still in charge. And it is him, not us. It makes me think of Matthew chapter 8. You don't have to turn there for the sake of Tom, but do you all remember the story of the centurion who came to Jesus on behalf of his servant who was paralyzed and suffering. And he wanted Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus agrees. He's like, yeah, I'll I'll come to your house and I'll heal him. And the centurion, this big, important man, over thousands of soldiers, says to Jesus, I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Just say the word, Jesus, and I know that he will be healed. He said, I know that because I'm a man under authority myself, with soldiers under me also. And if I say to one, go, he goes. And if I say to another, come, he comes. So he's like, just say the word, Jesus, and I know he will be healed because no one has authority like you do. That centurion, that big important man, knew what it meant to humble himself like a child. He demonstrated the fact that he knew who was in charge. May we live our lives a little more like that, right? May we live our lives exemplifying confidence that our God is the one who is in charge. And all he has to do is say the word and situations are going to change. Relationships are going to be healed. Lost people are going to get saved. Man, what if we lived like that? What kind of power would be in that? Because the thing is, y'all, when we know who is in charge, we'll start to rely on who is in charge. And that's point number two tonight. Children rely on on who is in charge. If my seven-year-old daughter were on this stage tonight and you ask her, Allie June, 
when you wake up in the morning, do you wonder how you are going to get to eat that day? Are you, are you ever worried that you're just going to walk into the cafeteria at school, open up your lunchbox, and it's just going to be empty? Do you ever worry about that? She would look at you like you were crazy. She doesn't worry about that. She knows who is in charge. She knows that we provide for her every day. She never thinks about that. She doesn't worry about that. She relies on who is in charge. My older daughter, Ava, um, she's nine, and she wants to be a teacher when she grows up. And I think that's awesome because she's going to be the greatest teacher ever. And if you're a teacher in here, man, us as parents, we are so thankful for you all. But she wants to be a teacher when she grows up. She's convinced about it. And if you were to come to her and say, Ava, do you ever worry about your future and whether or not you are going to be able to get enough education to one day be a teacher? If you ask her that, she would be like, no, I don't worry about that. She knows who's in charge. She knows who sends her to school every day preparing for her future. She knows that we, as her parents, know the desires of her heart. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. She knows that we, as her parents, know the desires of her heart and that we are going to do everything we can to help her achieve those goals. She doesn't worry about those things because she knows who's in charge and she relies on who is in charge. When we know that our Father is the one in charge, we'll rely on him to be in charge. And we, we realize that he is actively and intimately involved in every aspect of our lives, we will start to lean in and trust in that fact. And our lives will become a lot less filled with stress and with worry. Think about the way you are with your kids. Think about it for a second. If your kids are grown, think about the way you used to be with them. Do you just sit back and watch from a distance and hope things work out for them? No, no. You are just intimately involved in every detail of their life, orchestrating things that, so that they have every advantage and every opportunity and so that they are prepared for every bit of adversity that may come their way. You are there to, to comfort them on their hardest days and you are the first one to stand up and cheer them on on their best day. Do you really think, do we really think that we are better parents than God? Like, do we really convince ourselves of that? He's a better parent than we are ever going to be, guys. He is a much better parent. So we cannot afford to live our lives like he is some distant God who knows what's going on, but may or may not do anything about it. He's not just standing back from a distance and watching. Trust. The definition of trust, I think it's going to be up there. Trust is the firm belief in the reliability of something. The firm belief in the reliability of something. In your day-to-day -day life, ask yourself, who are you trusting in? Who are you relying on the most? Is it you, yourself, 
I've been there, and I promise you, if it is, that is shaky ground, and I can prove it to you. Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17, go with me there, it'll be on the screens as well. Verses 14 through 21. I want us to read this together, it's worth it because it's just, it's so good. Verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. This is the part I want us to pay attention to, verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. We talked about this story briefly in the intro, but the disciples, they failed, right? They just completely failed. And they were like, Jesus... They came to him privately, of course, because they were embarrassed. And then they were like, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we do it? Keep in mind, they had been doing other miracles at this time, right? But this time they failed. And the way they asked the question makes me wonder about the reason that they failed. Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And do you think that maybe... They had gotten so confident in their own abilities that they had forgotten that they were never the ones who did it in the first place. That maybe they had started relying on themselves a little bit too much and forgot whose power was really doing the miracles all along. It was never them. It was never them. We have to know who's in charge and we have to rely on who is in charge. So Jesus reminds them, hey, when your faith is in the right place, when it's in me and not in yourself, you can say to this mountain, move, and it's going to move, even if it's just a little bit of faith. Even if it's just a little bit of faith the size of a mustard seed, if it's in me and not in yourself, you will not fail. You will not fail. Does that give anybody else some encouragement tonight? Because sometimes all I can muster up is just a little bit of faith. But man, that's what Jesus tells us. If it's in him, that's enough. That is enough. As I prepared this message, y'all, I felt the Lord speaking to my heart about, about this passage in particular. Look, a lot of times we look back on our lives and we give ourselves credit for something that God alone did. There's so many successful people in this room, and I'm not discrediting your hard work, but sometimes success causes us to look back on our lives and give ourselves credit for what only God did. And when we do that, that also causes us to start 
relying on ourselves more because we think we did it. So we're just going to keep relying on ourselves, And then problems start to happen when we do that. And I really think that the Lord wants us to look back tonight and make sure, just be sure that we are giving credit where credit is due. And Grace Meadows, that goes for us as a whole too. That goes for us as a church too. When we look back on the past six years at all the miracles that God did in and through this place, we need to make sure that we are giving credit where credit is due. We did not take this church from 80 people to 600 people or whatever. We, didn't, we did not restore marriages and families. We did not save lost people. We did not raise up teachers and leaders and pastors. We never did any of that. He did that. He did that the first time around. And he's the one who's going to do that this time around. It's always been him, and it'll always be him. We can't afford to be like those disciples and put our trust and put our faith in ourselves. we got to put our hearts in a position where we know that he's in charge, and we are completely reliant on him to do what only he can do. And then if we do that, even if we just have a little bit of faith that he can do that, then he says that we as a church can say that this mountain move and it's going to move. And y'all, I want to see that. I want to see that again. But in order for that to happen, we've got to learn how to humble ourselves and become like children. Like Jesus told us, children know who is in charge. Children rely who is in charge on who is in charge. And lastly, and most difficultly, Children wait on who is in charge. Children wait on who is in charge. Man, I know this one's like, oh. Children, they're constantly waiting. I am an expert on this because I'm a substitute teacher from time to time. And let me just tell you, constantly throughout the school day, the kids, they're always like, when can we go to lunch? Is it almost time for lunch? And then after lunch, it's, can we go to recess? Is it almost time for recess? And then after recess, is it, can we pack up and go home yet? I mean, they're always waiting for something, constantly waiting for the next thing. They know they can't just go to recess whenever they want. they got to wait, right? They can't just pack up and go home whenever they're feeling tired. they got to wait. they got to wait. And the little ones, they don't even know how to tell time. So they don't even know how long they have to wait. They just know they got to wait. Jesus said, humble yourselves like a child. Children wait. There's this phrase that moms use in particular that our kids do not like. We usually say it when our kids are asking to do something, and we don't want to say yes or no yet to whatever they're asking. So we'll just say, we'll see. We'll see. Mommy, can we go to the park when we leave this store? Oh, honey, we'll see. Mommy, can we get ice cream after dinner? Babe, we'll see. We'll see is something that we say because we know that our kids cannot handle the answer yet. 
We know if we say yes, then they will drive us completely crazy the whole time that we are in the store wanting to go to the park. And we also know that if we say no, we run the risk of an all-out tantrum in the middle of coals. And we don't want either one of those options, so we just say, we'll see, which really means, I know, but you got to wait to find out, right? That's what that really means. Kids may not like it, but sometimes we as parents know that we'll see is just sometimes the best way to handle the situation. They don't need to know yet. Guess what? Oftentimes, the Lord, He does the same thing to us. He does. He does the same thing to us, and we want Him to answer us right now. And when He says, we'll see, we're like, "Mm," just like that child. I know you know. Why won't you just tell me? I know you know. And all we hear is, we'll see. He knows we aren't ready for that answer yet. He knows we need that season of waiting. And it's hard. Y'all, it is hard to me. This is the hardest part about humbling ourselves and becoming like children. I don't like to wait. You want to know now? God, just show me. Am I ever going to get through this season of depression? Y'all, I've been there. If that's where you are, if that's what you want to know, I've been there. God, just show me, is is my marriage ever going to get better? God, please give me this new job right now. God, we want a pastor like yesterday. We want it right now. And sometimes all we hear is, we'll see. And it's so hard. And it... It leaves us feeling insecure, like I think those disciples felt. When we don't know the answer that we're looking for, when we don't know what's around the corner, it leaves us feeling insecure, like those disciples felt. And it tempts us to start stressing and to start worrying and start relying on ourselves instead of waiting on the Lord. That's what that insecurity will do. But I want to point out that I think the disciples, they did two things right in the midst of the insecurities that they were feeling. I think they did two things right. The first thing I think they did right is they went to Jesus for their affirmation. They went to Jesus for their affirmation. Look, when you are feeling insecure, the world will tempt you to come to all the empty wells that it has to offer you. I've been there. I've gone to empty well after empty well after empty well looking for the security and the confidence that only Christ alone can give me. And do you know what those empty wells did? They just made me thirstier. They just made me thirstier. Look, when you are feeling insecure, the world will want to bait you to come to all those things. Man, all it will do is make you thirstier. That's all it will do. He alone can satisfy. He is the only one who offers you the living water that will quench your thirst, that will provide you the comfort and the assurance for the insecurities that you were feeling with. So I think the disciples did that right. They went to Jesus for their affirmation. The other thing that I think they did right is I think they actually asked the right question. Now they were hoping for the wrong answer, but I think they actually... Ask the right question. And worship team, you all can come. 
um, any time. But they ask him, Jesus, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Because let me tell you, when you are feeling insecure about where God has you in your life, Church, if we are tempted to start feeling insecure about where God has us in our life right now, what we don't need are empty compliments. What we need is to be reminded of who really is the greatest. That is what we need. And we need to be reminded that the one who is the greatest is also the same one who goes before us and behind us and beside of us individually and as Grace Meadows Church. Y'all, he is the greatest. He is Alpha and Omega. He is beginning and end. He's our creator and our sustainer and our redeemer. But you see, he's also a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And he is a good, good father. That is who he is. And when we come to realize that our father is the greatest of all time, that that is who our father is, he's the greatest of all times. I have an incredible father, but I've got another one who is the greatest of all time. And when we come to realize that, then all of a sudden we'll start to believe, man, I get to wait on him. I get to rely on him. I don't have to rely on myself. I don't have to move forward without him because my father is the greatest of all times and he lets me wait on him and, and he, re- he lets me rely on him. And, and when that starts to sink into our simple little human minds, then all of a sudden it won't be, I've got to humble myself like a child. It'll be, I get to do this. Like, this is how I get to live my life. Relying on the one that is the greatest of all times? Are you kidding me? That's incredible. Church, that's incredible. Look, I don't know how the Lord is dealing with your heart tonight. But I do know that he gave me this message. I know that he did. And... I know that the best way to show the Lord that, that we're relying on him is by praying. It's by prayer. Prayer shows, hey, my reliance is not on myself. My reliance is on you, Lord. That's what prayer does. It shifts that reliance. So I don't know how he's dealing with your heart tonight, but I know prayer is the best way to show him, man, I want to humble myself like a child. God, I want to depend on you. Maybe tonight you just feel the Lord leading you to come and pray for our church. That's what I feel him telling me to do. So maybe you just want to come and join me and pray for our church and and to tell him, God, we see the past six years. We know who gets the credit for that. And just to ask him, God, do it again. God, we're relying on you. God, we know it was always you. We're relying on you. God, help us wait on you. Help us wait on you. Maybe you feel him pressing that on your heart. Pray for our church. Maybe he's working on you individually in your heart right now. And you're here tonight just so he could remind you that he knows the desires of your heart. He's the one who put those desires in your heart. 
and he will be the one who brings them to fruition. You just have to rely on him to do it and wait on him to do it. Maybe you just want to pray for the Godsey family. Intercede on their behalf. Ask him to be the power that they need right now. I don't know how he's dealing with your heart. Just be obedient. Just be obedient to him. Let's stand and worship together.